Her name is Ida, and it's been widely reported that she is the missing link, demonstrating that Darwinian evolution is true. Today, we'll look at the facts. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zucharin. Today, Pat will examine this topic and take us back through history for answers. And by the way, it's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, today is part one of our program on Ida. Let's welcome our special guest. Yes, Kevin, there's been a lot of excitement amongst the evolutionists recently over recent discovery of a fossil many are announcing as the, quote, missing link. It's a 47 million year old fossil of an ancient primate they named Ida. It's on display at the American Museum of History in New York City. Now, the fossil is of a primate that looks to be a mix between a monkey and a lemur, and it's getting a lot of press. In fact, Kevin, you stated here recently that you just saw a History Channel special on this thing. Tell us about the uh, special. The History Channel rolled out this story fast, and like any other journalist and journalists who write on various topics, uh, even journalists who write on science, they're going to hype it as much as they can. They're going to make it as exciting as they can. But uh, i got to tell you, this History Channel uh, special on EDA, The Missing Link, was over the top as far as being extremely propagandish, just assuming, uh, well, first of all, that Darwinian evolution is true and, and, and uh, throughout, and second of all, that this is the uh, Rosetta Stone, uh, as they put it, the great find. Another thing that just leaped out at me as I watched this, and I recorded it, I'm going to watch it again, uh, is how often they referred to this little monkey fossil as her uh, and as a girl. This little girl, one scientist said, came out of the tree to get a drink, and that's probably how she got fossilized when she fell in and, and so forth. It leaped out at me uh, also that they found that it uh, looks like uh, the little monkey's wrist was broken, and they said, coming up, a personal tragedy of, of Ida. Well, the personal, references to personal, uh, leaped out at me again. In other words, this little monkey broke its wrist, and they're calling it a personal tragedy. Why? Well, because it's a, it's a human link, I guess. But there were little things in there that, um, that, that gave me pause to, to show that it's a little bit over-the-top propaganda. Yes, Kevin, you know, and one of the things, if this is the missing link, if it does indeed prove... Uh, Darwinian evolutionary theory to be true, then that would throw the Genesis account into jeopardy. So, to uh, inform us about the significance of this discovery, and is it really the missing link? Uh, we have with us our scientists on staff here at Pro Ministries, Dr. Ray Bolin. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Glad to be back. Ray has a Ph.D. in biology. Uh, from the University of Texas and serves here as president of Probe Ministries. So, Ray, what is the supposed significance of this discovery here? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, the way they've been presenting it in both uh, uh, print as well as in the special, and there's a book that was just released as well, um, 
Uh, all very well coordinated. Uh, very interesting uh, marketing campaign being done. They even used the word branding, uh, that they were branding this fossil find in, in, in these various ways. And the missing link idea seemed to be indicating that this was a link far back in human evolutionary history. I Pat used the, the dating of 47 million years. We have to be careful here, make sure we said purportedly 47 million years old, and some might agree with that, some might not. Um, but even within their own context, the reason that the fact that it goes back that old really misleads a lot of people. When they talk about it as an evolutionary link of human beings, um, most people think you're talking about the human chimp uh, transitional form, perhaps. And that simply can't be that old. This thing is much older than that. And it's a link supposedly between early monkeys or lemurs, lemurs which is how this is uh, portrayed, uh, and the primate line going back that far. Um, and that's been hotly disputed uh, among other scientists. Um, you know, trying to weed your way through even the, the article itself that was published in the, uh, I think it's PLOS, it's the Public Library of Science uh, is the one. They purposely chose a free online journal because they wanted the public to have as much access as possible to the article. If they went with nature or science, you'd have to pay uh, to get the article itself. And so they wanted something freely accessible. And they even say in the, at the end of the concluding portion of the article there that they are not trying to make a specific connection between humans and this fossil. It is funny how the peer-reviewed material uh, and work on this is not nearly as over the top, as I put it, as the media accounts. That is much more reserved and that writers uh, who cover these areas – are very exorbitant, exuberant in their descriptions mm -hmm. of this. And it can be really over-exaggerating, and we need to be aware of that because that's what gets to us. Mm -hmm. That's what gets to the people. Yeah. Um, even I, th I had a look, found an article that was by um, oh, the curator of uh, paleontology at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. And, and his comment in there was to say, so Ida is not – a missing link, at least not between anthropoids and more primitive primates. Uh, further study may reveal her to be a missing link between other species, but this hardly solidifies her status as, and uses quotations, the eighth wonder of the world. And so there's really some very strong pushback from other paleontologists saying, look, you're, you're, you're making a big mistake by pushing this that hard. So, Ray, what exactly is... Ida. Is she a uh, lemur? Is she a mix? What, what exactly is, is she? It seems that most are calling her simply a, le a lemur uh, that had some that was missing some characteristics, uh, as I understand it, that are more characteristic of lemurs, but not of uh, those on the line supposedly to human beings. And so that's why they thought it was possibly some kind of missing link of some type. But missing characters does not generate identity as a missing link. Usually you need certain things to show that you are a link between one, one form and another. Pat and Ray, I want you guys to see something that's glaring almost from the get-go here. When you talk to Darwinian evolutionists quite often and you challenge them with the fact that there are not all these transitional fossils that should be there, that Darwin himself predicted and everything, that, uh, it, you know, that these are, are virtually nil – 
they go always, they always go, no, there are so many transitional fossils and things like that. If that were the case, why is this such a big deal? This would be just mundane. This would be ho-hum. Oh, another one of our transitionals. Instead, it's being touted as the missing link. Yes, Kevin, you make a great point. Now, Ray, why all the hype uh, for a missing link here between apes and humans? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question, Pat. And there is an article in a fairly new uh, online magazine called Seed Magazine. I think it's put out by the science journal Nature. Uh, but they did some investigation into the the publicity and the hype and, and all of the different factors, the book, the TV, the online article, all those things. Um, and it seems that the way the Norwegian scientist presents it is that he's been involved in child's education, science education for some time. He's been a part of a, a kid's science program, a TV program in Norway for, for quite a long time. And what he tries to explain is that, oh, we're just trying to uh, make science more accessible to young people, uh, give them some ideas that this is really exciting, this is really great stuff, and to get them more enthused about science. Um, but I, I don't know how to really understand that because as he's now being accused uh, very plainly by other scientists of over-presenting this, over-hyping it, over-claiming things about it, that the, the debate's going to rage for some of these scientists are saying for decades over what this thing really means. Now, it's spectacular in the sense that it's as old as it is purported to be. It's almost complete. And finding that level of completion is, is really pretty unusual. And so it is a what you could call a beautiful fossil. Um, and you can hype it for that. But well-preserved. Well-preserved, um, even uh, hints at its fur and, and other uh, external characteristics, potential insight into its stomach contents, which is very rare for any kind of a fossil find. So it's unusual in that degree, and if they simply hyped it that way, uh, they'd have a lot more support. But in, in the, the missing link thing, you just get, do get the sense that, um, well, every – and I've made this comment for a long time, and, and Kevin, you hinted at it too, that you know, when we do find a missing link, well, why do you make such a big deal out of it? There ought, there ought to be abundant. And so you, you definitely get the impression that there is a bit of a salesmanship job going on here, and it's not the kids that are the target. It's, it's those who doubt evolution. Yeah, you know, Ray, I'm noticing a pattern here. It's kind of like the resurrection. Uh, a new theory comes out, receives a lot of hype, a lot of publicity, and eventually it dies and, mm -hmm. and goes away, and the resurrection still stands. And seems like that's the way it is with these missing links. A discovery is made, a lot of hype is made about them, and then they slowly disappear, and you start hearing about them again. Why, why all this... Uh, determination and hype to to find a missing link. Well, the big – this would not have been hyped as much if it was a missing link to say, I don't know, um, a hippopotamus. Nobody would have cared all that much, public in particular. What really captures the public's attention is when you believe you have a, quote, missing link leading to human beings. That's what captures people's attention. And something I've noticed, and I know other uh, evangelicals have written about it this way, that the whole area of 
uh, human evolution, the scientists that pursue that are as much publicity hounds as anybody. They know that public attention helps garner them research dollars. Uh, National Geographic has played a huge role in this. Uh, the uh, the Leakies, uh, early research in the mid-20th century, they were heavily funded by National Geographic. And, and you know, if, if they don't hype it, they don't get money. And so what it, what, human anthropology attracts, um, attracts people with egos. And I remember even seeing uh, one of the leaky son, Richard and uh, Donald Johansson, on a TV pro- – Walter Cronkite did a series of programs after he retired years and years ago. And, and he had these two on, on TV at the same time talking to each other. And they're, they're huge rivals in, in uh, paleontology, human evolution. And I think it was um, – uh, Johansson, who was asked to hold up a diagram of his version of human evolution that had his Lucy fossil prominent in that, of course, and as a as a major center point. And Cronkite turned to uh, Leakey and asked him, well, well, well Richard, what, what do you think of this? And he got up and took out this big black marker and just put a huge X over this whole, this whole thing. And it was a huge grandstanding moment that nobody expected. He didn't broadcast it in any way. Cronkite was shocked. Johansson was shocked. Um, and, you know, this, this, there's a lot at stake. If you're the one who finds the human missing link, you'll be famous and you'll be fun- funded for the rest of your life. Add to this something that I didn't realize, Ray and Patton, that is that there's this fossil industry out there from non-scientists who go out and find fossils and sell them. Mm-hmm. I mean, just farmers and Yahoos <clears throat> and these just Yahoos and mm-hmm. these people who go out and, and dig them up mm-hmm. and then try to sell them. Um, the, the price tag on Ida was a million dollars from this guy who went out and dug it up. And uh, they reported as well that sometimes they'll cut a fossil in two because two fossils are worth more than one That's fossil. Right. And there's a mix and match potential going on here. Well, yeah, with most fossils, there's a. Um there's a, a, a positive and negative, like a photograph sort of thing. There's, a, there's an indentation impression, and then there's the fossil itself. And yeah, you, you can get double money for those, but we don't really know what they paid for it. That was a million dollars was the asking price, but nobody's saying what they actually paid for it. Fox said this morning $750,000. 750, oh, so the, the, it's leaked out. <laughs> Amazing. Leaky has leaked out. <laughs> History Channel Special really pointed out two things that this investigative team are looking at that they think links it to human beings. One would be a bony protrusion that lemurs have, uh, kind of a, uh, a hard uh, claw-like fingernail that mm-hmm. Ida does not have. And another, they say that um, the bone, a particular bone in Ida's foot, is um, uh, resembles human foot bone in, yes. in the development and so on. Now, the first one surprises me because they ruled it out being a lemur due to that claw-like uh, appendage mm-hmm. that modern lemurs have. But if it, if it was 47 million years ago, couldn't evolution have eventually given the lemur one? <laughs> you know? yeah. So they're ruling out their – I mean, uh, this is an ugly little lemur. When you look at the fossil, you think, boy, I hope that isn't grandma. <laughs> I agree. Well, Ray, summarize for us then the significance of Ida, this discovery. What exactly does it prove if it doesn't prove the missing link here? 
Well, I don't know that we can really say at this point what EDA actually proves about evolution, what it proves even about human evolution. And, and that's what I see many other scientists uh, rallying around saying it's going to take them a long time to figure out where this actually fits. And they are uh, being very critical of the group that's been publicizing it and presenting it. Um, and because that we really can't say these things with any degree of certainty at this point. Um, it may just end up being an old lemur and, and, and nothing more than that. And, and uh, certainly that's the way some other paleontologists uh, are, are portraying it at least. But again, even there, you don't, you don't know how, how much, how seriously to take that because are they acting a little bit out of jealousy as well? Uh, a lot of people don't like the fact that they bought this fossil from an amateur. Uh, they know where technically it came from, but they can't really study how it was taken out, You know, the actual location where it initially was. That can often be very significant with a fossil find. Uh, being able to, to, to study it, what they would say, in situ, in sight. Uh, well, you can't do that with something from an amateur fossil hunter. He can't take you back now. This is where it came from. But you need to be able to watch it and study it and document it. And, and that's, all, that's all gone. Um, and so there's a few, few elements that are missing from the scientific uh, status of it. Um, and there are some, what I think may end up being an even more serious ramification for science in general, is that once a lot of the information that was there originally about uh, EDA is more available and people begin to see, okay, this wasn't everything they told me it was. Uh, there are going to be some, some real reactions to it. Uh, some of the people in the public are not going to are going to say, "Well, these scientists don't know what they're doing," or they'll, they'll exaggerate anything to get on TV. Or and, and those will all be quite honestly very legitimate conclusions to come to. So there are already some science writers, some scientists who are beginning to lament a little bit that this whole thing may hurt us in the long run more than it helps us. And I remember seeing, I, I was looking for the article, I couldn't find it, where uh, the Norwegian scientist Hurum himself was saying that, um, you know, but, you know, all, you know, NBA players do this and, and athletes do this and, and, you know, they all hype it and they all go about and they publicize and scientists, we need to get with the program, we need to do the same thing. And it's like, oh my, oh my, we're crossing some interesting boundaries here where science is becoming a publicity-seeking event and and the objectivity that science so prizes is going to get lost in the in the shuffle well ray this obviously won't be the last uh, new discovery that proposes to be a missing link how should we as christians and as non-scientists when we see a new discovery um, proclaiming to be the missing link how should we respond well, the first thing I would say in a positive end is is simply be uh, be curious, uh, be interested. You know that they wouldn't. There's something of value here, and it, but it may take some time to determine what the actual value is. And, and an, a reaction that I would counsel against, however, and I'm, what I'm saying here is just be cautious, uh, be interested, be curious. They found something. What does it really mean? What is it? What does it look like? Can I get some real information about it? But on the other hand, I've seen far too many uh, Christians in particular who react in a way that says, oh, how could scientists be so stupid as to believe that? 
that indicates a, a bit of a, uh, I think, a very calloused perspective, and often one that I find is somewhat uninformed. And we can begin to be overly skeptical of anything a scientist says when we approach it with that kind of attitude. Uh, these aren't stupid people who are doing this. Uh, maybe they've been, they've been carried away by a philosophy and by a worldview very definitely. But what I try to – where I try to engage Christian audiences with is to have them realize that within their naturalistic worldview, this evidence makes a great deal of sense. Now – we complain when scientists do that to us, to we as Christians. They say, how can you be so stupid to believe in God or in theism and so forth? And so let's not go the same route and do the same thing to them. Let's show that we're thinking about it and not just reacting. Very important point, Ray, that you made. That is that publicity-seeking scientists can be more prominent today because there's more outlets for them. Years ago, there weren't the outlets that there are today for that publicity. What I'm referring to is National Geographic Channel, Discovery Channel, Justin TV, The Learning Center, The History Channel, and so on. Yeah. And those guys are looking for History Channel, uh, Discovery Channel, National Ge Geographic Channel. They're looking for compelling stories as well, and they're going to make it as compelling as they can in the promos to get people to watch. And so uh, that doesn't bode well for science either because of the hype factor that's in place because of these prominent cable shows that are quite popular. Well, um, I, I would absolutely agree, and we're already seeing it, um, that the whole factor of entertainment in our culture today uh, is so, in my opinion, uh, grossly out of proportion uh, in that even people talk about it quite regularly, network TV news is done on as much of an entertainment value because they're trying to, to grab viewers. They're trying to retain viewers. They give you snapshots of the exciting stuff coming up. You know, they give you a brief preview. Well, we'll talk about this next, you know, and or coming up is this. And uh, newspapers are beginning to have to struggle with the same thing um, and having to, you know, kind of exaggerate things and accentuate things to a degree that um, is playing to an entertainment value. And you know, even on some of the, the nature shows and channels, uh, cable channels you just mentioned, it, it, what's, there's just a lot of sloppiness to it where in one hand, on the one hand, they're definitely promoting an evolutionary view of these things. And then they use words like design and intricate and it's not made to do this. It's, it, yeah. They use design language all the time and then they call that evolution. Um, and so there's a real confusion. Uh, they, they know what will attract people's attention, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving a coherent story. <laughs> yeah, Ray, you know, as we end, uh, let, let's end on this question. Um, what is the significance of this whole debate, whether uh, men evolve from apes or whether the Genesis account is true? Why should we as Christians be so engaged and involved and understand the debate here? Well, it makes a real difference, Pat, in terms of how we understand uh, who we are and what are we as created beings. Um, no matter how you choose to define the word created, some will say that we are created through the evolutionary process. Uh, but that is that is a, a conclusion that is a bit is quite disturbing to me because that shows that people don't understand evolution. Evolution, as it's taught in our in our science classrooms today, is a process that's without plan and without purpose. 
and many even what are called theistic evolutionists will agree with statements that say if you rewind the videotape of evolution and let it play again, we as people might not even arise again. But they somehow say God is still sovereign. Well, if God is sovereign but he doesn't have a plan, what kind of sovereignty is that? And you know, if we're the result of a process that looks completely like a purely naturalistic process that doesn't require God in God's involvement at all, then what's the what's the value? What what does Paul mean in Romans one twenty where he says we're without excuse by just looking at the creation that there's a God? If it all looks natural like natural process, well then how can we be without excuse? So I think there are some real fundamental aspects of the character of God and nature of Scripture, not just how do we interpret Genesis one. There's far more at stake than that. Well, thank you very much, Ray. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Ray will be back with us next week to talk more about transitional forms and. Uh, issues like these but uh, for more information Ray has written a lot of articles that you can go to evidenceandanswers.org and probe.org and read not only about uh, transitional forms but a lot of other issues when it comes to science and our faith in Christ so Ray uh, thanks for being with us we look forward to you talking with us next week my pleasure Pat thank you Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on 